Hi, I'm Stephen Kotowicz. Welcome to Tesla, The Life and Times. Episode 1, Childhood, 1856 to 1861. Welcome to the first official episode. Hopefully, you've already had a chance to listen to episode 0, which gives a bit of an overview of what I've got planned for the podcast. If you haven't had a chance, you can get the episode by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. You can also always get the episodes and show notes on the show's website, www.teslapodcast.com. So, as I mentioned last time, this is the Life and Times podcast, so I thought I'd try to start each episode with a snapshot of some of the major historical events happening around the world during the time each episode of the show covers. History geek that I am, I just kind of find all this historical trivia really interesting. Hopefully you will too. And if not, let me know. If everybody hates it but me, I can probably be convinced to stop. 1856 was much like any other year, filled with events both great and small. In Europe, in 1856, the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the Crimean War. Pre-human remains were found in the Neanderthal Valley in Germany. They were the 40,000-year-old bones of a previously unknown human ancestor, Homo neanderthalensis. And in Bohemia, the Augustinian friar Gregor Mendel began his pioneering research on genetics. In the United States, tensions that would soon boil over into the American Civil War continued to grow. In bleeding Kansas, in reaction to the sacking of the town of Lawrence by pro-slavery forces, John Brown and a band of radical abolitionists killed five homesteaders in what came to be known as the Pottawatomie Massacre. The American Party, commonly called the Know-Nothings, nominated their first presidential candidate, former President Millard Fillmore. He would lose the November election to Democrat James Buchanan. And Kate Warney, the first female private detective, began work for the Pinkerton Detective Agency. In China, the Taiping Rebellion entered its sixth year. By the time it concluded in 1864, 20 to 30 million people would be dead. In India, British surveyors officially measured the height of Peak 15 at 29,002 feet, or 8,840 meters, declaring it the world's highest mountain. It would later be renamed Mount Everest. Peak 9, Kanchenjunga, previously thought to be the world's highest, was downgraded to third place. In 1856, the Italian chemist Amadeo Avogadro, noted for his contributions to molecular theory, died. So too did Kedrup Gaiazzo, the 11th Dalai Lama, and Chiba Narimasa, considered by many to be the greatest samurai who ever lived. George Bernard Shaw, Sigmund Freud, and Woodrow Wilson were born. And so too, in a small village, in a backwater frontier of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was a boy who would grow up to change the world. Before we begin, I would also like to apologize to anyone of Serbian descent out there. I'm going to be attempting a number of Serbian place names and family names, and I can pretty much guarantee that despite my best efforts, I'm going to screw them up probably badly, and possibly comically. I apologize in advance, and if anyone out there would like to gently correct me, 
I'd be happy to have your feedback. You can email me at tesla at kotowich.com. That's K-O-T-O-W-Y-C-H.com. So, that being said, here goes. Nikola Tesla was born, as the story goes, at the stroke of midnight between July 9th and 10th, 1856. I say, as the story goes, because of where we first come up against the claim, John J. O'Neill's problematic Tesla bio, Prodigal Genius. As I mentioned in episode zero, I'm deeply skeptical of this book, given O'Neill's express purpose of portraying Tesla as a modern scientific superman and demigod. Tesla does suggest, in at least one place in his writing, that he was born at midnight. We'll get to that in a bit. But he doesn't make a big deal of it, and it strikes me as the kind of tale that grows in the telling. I've also read elsewhere that it was at the stroke of midnight during a lightning storm, naturally. So, I suppose we could think of him as Nicholas Stormborn of the House Tesla. First of his name, the unelectrocuted. King of the Andals and the First Men. Mostly, however, the whole mysterious birth narrative seems more a part of O'Neill's myth-making around Tesla. I'm content to ignore it. And anyway, it really isn't important to Tesla's story or to his later accomplishments. Nikola was born into a Serbian family in the village of Smiljan in what is now Croatia. At the time, this region, sometimes also referred to as the Krajina, was the military frontier of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Ironically, given his later achievements in technology and industry, and his love for the great cities of the world, Tesla grew up in an agricultural community in a high mountain plateau near the eastern shore of the Adriatic Sea. He wouldn't even see his first steam locomotive until he was well into his teens. His father, Milutin Tesla, was the local Serbian Orthodox priest, the Tesla family had a long history of sending sons to both the church and to the army. Nikola's grandfather had been an officer in Napoleon's army, and his father was in officer training school for a time. However, following a reprimand for not keeping his brass buttons sufficiently polished, Milutin quit and instead turned to the Serbian Orthodox priesthood as a more suitable vocation. He graduated seminary in 1845, top of his class. Milutin wrote poetry, which was published in contemporary papers, and wrote articles on current problems which he signed with a pseudonym, Man of Justice. Something of a reformer, in his articles Milutin called for Serbian language schools in Croatia. He was concerned that illiteracy would prevent the Serbs from making social and political gains. He himself spoke, read, and wrote Serbo-Croat, German, and Italian, and his son would later show a similar facility for languages. Nikola's mother, Juka Mandik, was likewise from a family known for producing sons who became priests of the Serbian Orthodox Church. One of her brothers later became the Archbishop of Sarajevo and Metropolitan of the Serbian Orthodox Church in Bosnia. Daughters of the Mandik family were known to marry priests of the Serbian Orthodox Church, and Juka was no different. In 1847, Juka, aged 25, married Milutin, and the couple moved to a small parish on the coast, just 75 miles from the Italian port of Trieste. There, their first three children were born. Eldest daughter of eight children, despite being the daughter of an Orthodox priest, and thus from a literate, educated family, Juca never received any formal education, nor could she read or write. This was due to her having to take over the household duties while still a young girl, 
after her mother's sight failed and degenerated into blindness. My mother was a truly great woman of rare skill and courage, Tesla later wrote. He often told stories of the great hardships and responsibilities his mother had to endure at such a young age, including, at age 16, preparing for the burial of an entire family that had died of cholera. What she lacked in education, however, Juca made up for in raw intelligence and creativity. According to Nicola, she was descended from a line of inventors, including Nicola's grandfather and great-grandfather, who helped develop a number of unique implements for household, agricultural, and other uses. She likewise devised a number of labor-saving appliances for use around the house, and possessed the ability to memorize thousands of verses of Serbian epic poems, as well as long passages from the Bible. Tesla often described her as a, quote, inventor of the first order, and felt she would have achieved greatness if she had been born in a modern, urban environment with the opportunities it afforded. But her native talents were certainly recognized by her husband, who left all business matters involving both the church and the household in her hands. Tesla's affection for his mother is evident from his writings, and he credited his own inventiveness to her influence. But Tesla would credit his father for an eidetic memory. The elder Tesla made young Nikola work through daily exercises intended to strengthen memory and reason, and especially to develop his critical faculties. He would have Nikola work at guessing his thoughts, figuring out the flaws of an argument, repeat long sentences without error, and perform complex mental calculations. In 1852, after a particularly powerful sermon on the subject of labor, which led to his being awarded a special red sash by the Archbishop, Miliotin was promoted to the Church of Apostles St. Peter and St. Paul in Simeon, a farming village about 50 miles inland. The parish was twice the size of the one he'd been responsible for on the coast, and came with an allotment of farmland, which allowed the family to garden as well as keep chickens, sheep, and a flock of geese. It was also just six miles from the town of Gospish, where the Teslas had family. It was a homecoming. It was in Simeon in 1856 that Nicola was born, and named for his maternal grandfather, also an Orthodox priest. Little Nicola was baptized at home on the day he was born, suggesting that the family was concerned he was weak as a newborn and might not survive. As required by Austrian law, the infant was enlisted in the 1st Lika Regiment, with the expectation that he would serve a compulsory military term at the age of 15. Remember that, it will be important later. Nicola was the fourth of five children. He had an older brother, now his name is spelled Dane, but apparently it's pronounced Dane. And he had three sisters, Milka, Angelina, and a younger sister, Marika. And in case you didn't believe me before about the family tradition, all three Tesla daughters would go on to marry Serbian Orthodox priests. While he enjoyed playing with his siblings, growing up, Tesla's favorite companion was the family's black cat, Masak, who followed Nikola everywhere. Like Newton and his apple... The story told by Tesla was that it was Masak the cat who introduced him to electricity on a dry winter evening. As I stroked Masak's back, he recalled, I saw a miracle that made me speechless with amazement. Masak's back was a sheet of light, and my hand produced a shower of sparks loud enough to be heard all over the house. Curious, he asked his father what caused the sparks. Puzzled at first, Milutin finally answered, Well, this is nothing but electricity the same thing you see through the trees in a storm. His father's answer, equating the sparks with lightning, fascinated the young boy. 
As Tesla continued to stroke Masek, he began to wonder, is nature a giant cat? If so, who strokes its back? It can only be God, he concluded. Tesla grew up in the shadow of his older brother, Dane, who was regarded by his parents as extraordinarily gifted. Nikola always described his older brother as a brilliant boy and recounted how his parents gloried in him. As the eldest son, Dane was expected to follow his father and uncles into the clergy. However, Dane died in an accident at the age of 12, leaving his parents shattered. Now, the story most often told, the one recounted by Tesla in his autobiography, is that Dane's death came about in an accident with the family horse. Even though he wrote about it more than 50 years later, Tesla claimed that the scene was as vivid in his mind as if it had just happened, perhaps not surprising given his eidetic memory. However, there is another version of the story. In this second one, Danny died from a fall down the cellar stairs, and Nicola, who would have only been five at the time, either pushed him in a fit of childhood rage, or else Danny, in a delirium from the fall, accused Nicola of having pushed him. Now, this story is mentioned most prominently in Margaret Cheney's book, Tesla, Man Out of Time. Unhelpfully for us, she includes no footnote for this particular claim. Most of her source material for that chapter is Tesla's own autobiography, in which he relates the accident with the horse. So it's unclear from her book who, or from where, Cheney heard this version. A helpful footnote in Mark J. Seifer's Tesla biography, Wizard, says that Cheney heard the story in person at the Tesla Museum. He tracks the first mention of the story to a book by A. Beckhard, Electrical Genius Nikola Tesla, written for young adults and published in 1959. He, too, uses only one referenced source, the O'Neill work, and Seifer argues that the whole alternate account was just made up by Beckhard, who also apparently made up the names of the townspeople from Tesla's childhood as well. Seifer is probably right, and we should treat this second account with some skepticism. Except. Except the idea that Tesla felt somehow personally responsible for his brother's death, whether directly or by accusation, rather than just being a witness to the death, offers a compelling explanation for why from this time forward young Nikola felt his parents' love for him and his accomplishments grow cold, and why he began to develop a host of neurotic habits. Consider, his father was the local Orthodox priest, a figure of great respect and importance in the community. In the mid-19th century, in a rural Croatian village, could you imagine the scandal of having the priest's young son blamed for the death of his brother? Could it be that a cover story, a misadventure with a horse, was concocted to protect both Nikola and the family? Perhaps the guilt and the shame and the lie wore on Nikola and the stress of the secret manifested in neurotic behavior. And when his parents, having protected him, looked at Nicola, was it possible they blamed and resented him, however secretly, for the son they'd lost? We also see in Tesla's own account of his father perhaps something else the two shared. Tesla's father had the habit of talking to himself, which perhaps by itself isn't anything remarkable. But the elder Tesla would carry on whole animated conversations and even heated arguments by himself, going so far as to give different tones of voice to each of the participants in these monologue arguments. 
Nicola commented that a casual listener might have sworn that several people were in the room. While we can't diagnose Tesla's father based simply on this account, we can say that it's at least peculiar. And it is worth noting that mental health challenges can and do run in families. Given the symptoms that Tesla displayed later in life of germophobia or obsessive-compulsive disorder, it's entirely possible that something in his family history and genetics predisposed him to such conditions. Serious emotional trauma at such a young age could cause them to manifest. Now, it's intriguing to speculate, of course, and it would explain a great deal, but it's important to say that this is all just speculation, and perhaps reckless speculation at that. We can't rely on pop psychology to explain why Tesla developed his many peculiarities. And at this remove from events, we can't know which version of Dane's death is the accurate one. What we do know for certain, however, is that Dane's death had a profound effect on Nicola, on his parents, and on their relationship. In a letter written in 1934, Tesla confided to a friend a strange and terrifying experience the night of Dane's death. It was a dismal night with rain falling in torrents. My brother, a youth of 18, an intellectual giant, had died. My mother came to my room, took me in her arms, and whispered, almost inaudibly, Come and kiss Dane. I pressed my mouth against the ice-cold lips of my brother, knowing only that something dreadful had happened. My mother put me again to bed, and lingering a little, said with tears streaming, God gave me one at midnight, and at midnight took away the other one. Grieving for Dane, on whom they had pinned all of their hopes, Milutin and Juka were unable to appreciate the promise of their remaining son. They glorified Dane's memory. They idealized his talents and mused on the greatness he would have achieved had he lived. In his autobiography, Nicola recounts with evident pain that the might-have-been achievements of Dane made his own efforts seem second-best in comparison. Anything I did that was creditable, Tesla wrote, merely caused my parents to feel their loss more keenly. So I grew up with little confidence in myself. From this point onward, Nicola felt compelled to rise above his expected situation in life, a member of the Orthodox clergy, if his father had his way. He was competing against the ghost of Dane, determined to exceed the great accomplishments his brother might have attained had he lived. So he turned inward, and soon became aware that he was not like other children his age. He pondered subjects that were of no interest to his peers, and his amusements and hobbies, like his budding interest in invention, were not those of boys his own age. He felt isolated without a friend his own age in whom to confide these interests. But beyond that, Tesla discovered an unusual ability that none of his contemporaries seemed to understand or exhibit, one that was to serve his intellectual and inventive abilities throughout his life. From a young age, Nikola experienced sudden and intrusive images appearing in his field of vision. These were often accompanied by strong flashes of light, which marred the sight of real objects and interfered with thought and action. Tesla felt himself predisposed to these strange episodes, as his brother Dane had also experienced them. The images that appeared were of objects and scenes that Tesla had seen previously, and not abstract or imagined ones. He would hear a word, and then the image of the object named would spring into his vision, unbidden. 
These images were so vivid, he was often unable to distinguish whether what he was seeing was real or not, tangible or not. He sometimes needed to rely on his sisters to help him tell what was a hallucination and what was real. Tesla reports that at such a young age, these events, understandably, caused him discomfort and anxiety. The example he gives in his autobiography is telling. Suppose that I had witnessed a funeral or some such nerve-wracking spectacle, Tesla writes. Then, inevitably, in the stillness of night, a vivid picture of the scene would thrust itself before my eyes and persist despite all my efforts to banish it. Sometimes it would even remain fixed in space, though I pushed my hand through it. I'm struck by the image of young Nicola, perhaps five or six years old, lying in his bed at night, terrified, trying desperately to physically push away images of his brother's death and funeral. Is it any wonder that he refers to these as tormenting appearances? Even later in life, Tesla was never able to get a satisfactory answer from any doctor or psychologist of the day as to the cause of these phenomena. He eventually came to believe them the result of, quote, a reflex action from the brain on the retina under great excitation. He even thought that, if his theory about their cause was right, he might be able to somehow harness the ability and create a projector that would display imagined images on a screen, the way a movie projector does. He believed such a device would revolutionize human relations, and claimed to have spent a great deal of thought trying to solve the problem. Today, we perhaps have a better sense of what might have caused Tesla's strange hallucinations. It is likely that Tesla had some form of synesthesia, a fascinating neurological condition, in which two or more senses are, essentially, tied together in an atypical way. Synesthesia is Greek for senses together. People with synesthesia, known as synesthetes, will have an automatic, involuntary reaction in one sense when another, separate sense is stimulated. Most typical is grapheme color synesthesia. The synesthete will experience individual letters of the alphabet and numbers as shaded or tinged with a certain color. While different individuals usually don't report the same colors for all letters and numbers, the colors remain constant for the individual synesthete. Some studies, however, have found some commonalities in how synesthetes experience these color phenomena. For example, large numbers of synesthetes tend to associate the letter A with the color red. As with Tesla, many synesthetes are often unaware that their experiences are unusual until they realize other people don't share them. Because the synesthetic experience is automatic and consistent for the individual, nothing seems out of the ordinary until it is somehow pointed out. Most synesthetes report that their experiences are pleasant or at least neutral, but there are cases, perhaps like Tesla's, where the synesthetic experience can lead to a degree of sensory overload. Tesla also reported certain other phenomenon reported by synesthetes. For example, whenever little squares of paper were dropped into a dish filled with liquid, he would experience a, quote, peculiar and awful taste in his mouth. Even today, the exact cause of synesthesia remains unknown. Theories range from crosstalk between specialized regions of the brain, a kind of signal feeding back along neural pathways, or even synesthesia being a phenomenon involved with the processing of meaning from the inducing stimulus. Whatever the cause, synesthesia was only beginning to be seriously studied in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, so it's unlikely Tesla could have received any satisfactory answer to the origin of his experiences within his own lifetime.
Unable to halt these intrusive images, Tesla began trying to adapt. At first, he tried focusing on something else, and for a time found some relief that way. But he constantly had to conjure new images to distract himself, or else the tormenting appearances would resume. At such a young age, he quickly ran through everything he'd seen and done, and all the places he'd been. By the time he was repeating images for the second or third time, they had lost the ability to keep the unwanted images at bay. So, Tesla turned to his imagination. With time and practice, the imagined images became as real and tangible for him as places and objects he'd encountered in the real world. Tesla likened this to traveling farther and farther into his visions, claiming to journey each night, and sometimes during the day, to new places, cities, and countries, to live there, to meet people and make friendships that he found as real and intense as any he experienced in the real world. It wasn't until the age of 12 that Nikola was finally able to banish images from his vision just by force of will. However, he was never able to be rid of the flashes of light which accompanied them. They struck him most often when in a dangerous or distressing situation, or at moments of great exhilaration. Although he could not have known it at the time, in developing his self-control and learning to channel his powerful imagination, Tesla had begun acquiring mental skills that would serve him well as an inventor. Not only would he be able to freely explore new ideas in his mind, but he would also have the discipline and concentration he would need to shape and mentally edit those ideas into actual devices. It was also around this age that Tesla reports developing many of the neuroses and obsessive-compulsive tendencies that would hound him the rest of his life. Again, that these would manifest around the onset of puberty is not unusual, particularly if there was some existing family history of mental illness. I had a violent aversion against the earrings of women, he wrote, but other ornaments, as bracelets, pleased me more or less according to design. The sight of a pearl would almost give me a fit, but I was fascinated with the glitter of crystals, or objects with sharp edges and plain surfaces. I would not touch the hair of other people except perhaps at the point of a revolver. I would get a fever by looking at a peach, and if a piece of camphor was anywhere in the house, it caused me the keenest discomfort. I counted the steps in my walks and calculated the cubical contents of soup plates, coffee cups, and pieces of food. Otherwise, my meal was unenjoyable. All repeated acts or operations I performed had to be divisible by three, and if I missed, I felt impelled to do it all over again, even if it took hours. It's worth noting here that Tesla's final lodgings in the Hotel New Yorker were on the 33rd floor, and that he died in his room, number 3327, all divisible by three. I've often wondered what he would think if he knew his ashes were eventually placed in a spherical urn that looks an awful lot like a giant pearl. At this point in most Tesla biographies comes the Tesla Boy Adventurer section, in which the authors recount a litany of childhood experiences from Tesla's autobiography, which wouldn't be out of place in the adventures of, say, Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. Boy Tesla's childhood belief that he could float into the air simply by holding his breath or experimenting with flight by holding an umbrella and leaping from the top of a barn like something out of a Roadrunner cartoon. Uh, that particular experiment ended about as well as it ever did for Wiley e. Coyote. Boy Tesla tricking some friends into thinking he'd drown by swimming under a log and using an air-filled hollow to breathe. Boy Tesla's first efforts as an inventor-entrepreneur, when at age five he began making and selling pop guns to his friends, at least until a string of broken windows in the village put a stop to his manufacturing enterprise. 
boy Tesla earning the ire of his father's parishioners for accidentally jumping on the train of a woman's Sunday best and tearing the dress rather embarrassingly. And then boy Tesla redeeming himself and being hailed as a village hero after helping the local fire brigade unkink a hose at the bottom of a lake and put out a fire. While amusing, to keep our narrative moving along, we'll skip most of these and suffice instead with Tesla's own summation of his childhood exploits. Three times in my youth, I was rendered by illness a hopeless physical wreck and given up by physicians, he writes in his autobiography. More than this, through ignorance and lightheartedness, I got into all sorts of difficulties, dangers, and scrapes from which I extricated myself as by enchantment. I was almost drowned a dozen times. I was nearly boiled alive. A podcaster's note on that one, it was apparently in a giant vat of scalding milk, for those of you keeping score at home. Tesla continues. I just missed being cremated. I was entombed, lost, and frozen. I had hair-breadth escapes from mad dogs, hogs, and other wild animals. I passed through dreadful diseases and met with all kinds of odd mishaps, and that I am hale and hearty today seems like a miracle. Next time, we'll join young Nicola as he heads off to school. We'll hear about how, as a young man, he came to believe humans were nothing more than meat machines, devoid of free will, and how this philosophy shaped some of his most staggering inventions. Before I go, I just wanted to say thanks again to all of you who have downloaded this episode and listened to this brand new podcast. All past episodes, as well as all future ones and their show notes, as well as links to the Tesla The Life and Times bookstore, can be found on the show website, www.teslapodcast.com. You can also contact me via email at tesla at kotowich.com, that's K-O-T-O-W-Y-C-H.com. As a brand new podcast, timing is really important for visibility and getting people to notice that the podcast even exists. So please be sure that you're subscribed to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcasts. Please make sure you've downloaded all the episodes and tell your friends about the show, maybe share it on your social media. To anybody you know who is a Tesla fan, or maybe just a history geek who might find this biography interesting. The more listeners we have, the more fun this will be for me, and hopefully for you too. And one of the biggest things you can do to help out the show is to go to iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a rating and review. That would be a huge help in getting the word out, since the iTunes algorithms take a while to figure out what to do with new shows, and really only promote shows that have more than, I think... 50 reviews or so. And if you leave a review, I promise to read each and every one, even the bad ones. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Kotowich.